0: Almighty Father God you are deliverer you are our savior and you are present with us here today by your spirit thank you thank you for for never leaving us or forsaking us but constantly keeping us and leading us in your good path and in your good way. Lord, turn us aside, I pray, this morning from the countless tasks and notifications, emails, interruptions. That cause us to tremble, I pray, in your holy presence. May our hearts And affections be captured by the wonder and awe and radiance of your glory. And convince us that nothing on earth, no phone update, no job, no relationship, no status, no game, no health, no hobby, nothing Should we desire besides you? All the things on earth are indeed loss, waste, and refuse compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord and the eternal weight of glory which is beyond all earthly comparisons. So cause us, I pray, Father, to look to Christ this morning. That we might find in Him our great joy, our great hope, and our great satisfaction. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are indeed uh, enamored by the celebrity. In our society this morning. And um, we are constantly looking for the public person, the celebrity to hang our hopes on. We're quick to take the latest person who may confess a faith in general or that they believe in God or may even say a prayer on the court or in the end zone and lift that person up as a spokesperson for. Our faith in what God is seeking to do. There's sometimes there's there's something of a deep suspicion inside of us, a deep wiring inside of us that thinks that if God can just get the right spokesman, the right popular, famous celebrity, that God can really do a great thing in the lives of people. We may even. Begin thinking this because we idolize even the characters that are in the Bible. We idolize these people that we see in our scriptures. However, if we read our Bibles carefully, we all know that their failures are just as evident as their faith is. If you think about Abraham, David, Paul, and Peter, and even Moses, as we saw last week is failure, and this week is faith. Moses was no celebrity. He wouldn't even have been said to have a great resume. We find him this morning out on the backside of the wilderness, caring for not, on, not his flock, but his, father's, his, father, his father-in-law's flock, not even his own sheep. he would be considered a failure by all measures that we have today of people that God can really use. So what did Moses have that caused him to be used in such a mighty way to deliver God's people? That's what we're going to find out this morning. What did Moses have? Well, Moses had a a glorious, amazing, stunning meeting with God that was a point in time that changed everything from that point forward. A few weeks ago, we looked at Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10, and we noticed the birth of this deliverer that God was seeking to make in Moses. And it's amazing how God worked and orchestrated in his providence to bring deliverance to even Moses as an infant. And then in Exodus, the rest of chapter 2, verses 11 through 25, we noticed that God was making for himself a deliverer and put Moses through various trials and ended up having him run to Midian out in the middle of nowhere, away from both the Egyptians and all their culture that he was grown up, had grown up in and had access to and was very well versed in. And he was also separated from the Hebrews who were questioning his very authority as he was seeking to bring justice. So we're looking at the making of this deliverer. This morning, we're going to be considering the calling of this deliverer. The calling of Moses and how God was going to use this man, this man on the backside of the wilderness, not to simply deliver his people, but to represent God for them. Moses was to display to God's people who God was. He was supposed to represent the one true God. And he was supposed to deliver these people out of Egypt. How did God equip Moses for this amazing task? Well, this morning we're going to look at the fact that first thing he did as he was to equip Moses for this amazing task that he called Moses to is that he revealed himself to Moses. He revealed himself to Moses, and I want us to see this morning as we look at verses 1 through 6 how God revealed himself to Moses in three particular, if you will, ways or forms or means he, he revealed himself in three different ways or forms or means, and he did that through verses 1 through 6. And this very thing was the thing that God was doing in his life so that he could equip Moses to be used as a deliverer. So this morning I want us to notice these three different particular ways or means that God was revealing himself to Moses. First, God reveals himself, himself reveals Himself in the angel of the Lord. Point number one, God reveals himself in. In the angel of the Lord. This is verses 1 and 2. Point number 2 God revealed himself through the burning bush. Through the burning bush. It's the latter part of verse 2 into verse 3. And then point number 3 God revealed himself by speech or by speaking. He revealed himself in the angel of the Lord. He revealed Himself through the burning bush. And then thirdly and finally, He revealed Himself by speaking. By speaking. We find Moses in verse 1 settling into the task, and has settled into the task. He's been probably doing it around 40 years from what we can gather from the sermon that Stephen preached in Acts chapter 7. As he's looking back on this event, he says that at the burning bush that Moses is around 80 years old. We know he entered into this vocation around 40, and so we're thinking for about 40 years he's been doing this task of taking care of someone else's sheep, his father-in-law. Looks like at some point he was hoping maybe that he would end up with this grand and glorious... um, um, reward of actually having his father-in-law's sheep one day. That was pretty much it for him. Moses was, notice what it says, he was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Not only was he keeping this flock, but he was also leading the flock Notice it says in verse 3, and he led his flock to the west side. Some translations say the far side of the wilderness. And he came to this place called Horeb. This place is called Horeb. It's actually a mountain range that's called Horeb. It's many, many mountains. And in that mountain range, there's a particular mountain that all of us know that's going to be mentioned later. In that mountain range that's called Horeb, there's a particular mountain called Sinai. So this is a very significant place and we're going to be coming back here in our text and Moses will be coming back here in his life over and over again. Moses ends up on the backside of the wilderness keeping the flock of his father Jethro and leading these sheep that were not his own. I can't help but to think that Moses pinned this Exodus, this verse, because He's setting up for us to see how God, in those 40 years of keeping Jethro's flock and leading them to this place called the west side of the wilderness, which is Horeb, that God's going to cause Moses to keep God's people and lead them to this far side of the wilderness, to this area called Horeb. Which is the mountain of God. God's bringing him to this place so that he might reveal himself. Notice that this is no initiative of Moses's. This is all God's doing, God's working, God's providence. Well, Moses was doing what he normally was supposed to do. He was not looking for an extraordinary day, he wasn't out trying to find God. He was simply doing what he had been doing for 40 years settled into the task that God had given to him. He was caring for the flock and leading the flock that that, uh, his father-in-law had given him to care for. And then we have a stunning statement in verse 2. God begins to reveal himself and he does it through. It says in verse 2, it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. That changes everything for Moses. Nothing's the same From that second in his life forward, the very angel, notice the articles there, the angel of the Lord. The Lord's revealing himself. It says here, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. The Lord reveals himself first through this angel of the Lord. This phrase, the angel of the Lord, occurs no less than 57 times in the Old Testament. And it is, it is more than a mere messenger or angel that's spoken of elsewhere in Scripture, like the seraphim, maybe, of Isaiah 6. But this particular title is given to a particular person that seems to be acting in particular, a particular way throughout the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord. We've seen this phrase before in Genesis several places in Genesis. The angel of the Lord appears to Hagar, but the angel of the Lord most notably appears to Abraham in Genesis 22. Listen to Genesis 22. And keep an eye on our text here in Exodus 3, um, specifically as this angel of the Lord begins to speak. But in Genesis 22, verse 11, it says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham... Abraham. And what does Abraham say? Here I am. Huh. It's it's almost exactly the same scenario as what is being said here, as this angel of the Lord calls Moses. Moses, in verse 4. And what's Moses' response? Here I am. This is what's called a theophany. And it's a visible manifestation of God Himself. This angel of the Lord is none other than God. Shane, why do you say that? Well, the text tells us that very thing. Look with me, if you will, at verse 4. It says, Verse 2, it says, "...the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush." And then it says that he was looking at this bush, verse 3, "...and Moses said, I will turn aside and see the sight of why this bush is not burning." And verse 4, it says, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush. God called to him out of the bush. Well, who does it say is in the bush? In verse 2, it says that the angel of the Lord is in the bush. And here we see that God's calling to him. Where? From out of the bush. So it's God himself that's calling from the midst of the bush. It's also, the title is, the angel of the Lord. We find also in verse five that this angel of the Lord's described as one who is holy, to the point that it makes the ground holy that Moses is walking on. Verse five it says, Then he came then he then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing is a is holy ground. Because this angel, this holy angel has the attribute of God. He identifies himself as God in verse four. He describes himself as God, as holy in verse five, this attribute that's only of God. And then in verse 6, he calls himself God. And he said, this one that was in the bush, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. What we find is that this angel pops up in several places in the book of Exodus. This angel is the one who moves with God's people in Exodus fourteen nineteen. He guards God's people in, verse, in Exodus 23, verse 20. He leads them in Exodus 32, 34. This angel fights for God's people in verse twenty-three, uh, chapter 23, verse 23. And he drives out their enemies in Exodus 33, verse 2. In other words, Moses, this is the beginning of a long tenure with Moses and this one called the angel of the Lord, where this angel of the Lord does amazing things in the life of Moses. You know what Moses comes to know? as he gets to know this angel of the Lord, he gets to know his God. He comes to understand his God. It's interesting because this angel seems to, as we look at the different places, the 57 times this phrase, the angel of the Lord occurs, and specifically in Exodus, as we look at it, we find that this angel calls himself God, and yet he's distinct from God, and he has all other attributes of humanity, of one who is a man. It's almost like This one that's seeking to show himself and manifest himself is doing so in such a way as to show himself to be fully and totally God and fully and totally man at the same time. Many believe, and I believe, that this phrase, the angel of the Lord, when it shows up in the Old Testament, is not only a theophany, meaning a manifestation of God himself, but it's a Christophany. It is Christ showing himself in a pre incarnate state to all of those who are in the Old Testament. God is, Christ is coming and showing himself. It's interesting in this very passage, this one who's speaking out of the bush, that is the angel of the Lord, which I'm saying is Jesus, is the one that later on in John's gospel, which we'll read John's gospel in this part next week, um, the Pharisees are pushing Jesus on who you are and who do you say you are and that kind of thing. And he says, before Abraham was, what does Jesus say? I am. am. It's funny because that's exactly what Jesus says here to Moses is that I am. It is Jesus himself who's being manifested here, who's revealing himself, who's showing himself to Moses. And when Moses looked at Jesus, it 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 changed everything was revealing god himself to him god was revealing himself through this or in this angel of the lord he was also revealing himself number two through this burning bush this burning bush look at with me if you will the latter part of verse two It says the angel of the lord appeared to him how by what means it was a very unusual and particular way and it was in this way the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. Fire was often an image of God throughout the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. Fire was an apt illustration, an image of who God was, because fire was not something that you could approach lightly. It wasn't something you can just flippantly handle. It was something that was unique in its properties. Notice here it speaks of the fact that this fire was in this bush. This bush was on fire, and yet it was not consumed. And that's exactly what's happening as Moses now is approaching this one who is the very angel of the Lord. He's approaching God himself who is wholly other and absolutely unique in all of his properties. And yet, why is Moses, this sinner, not consumed? interesting question Because we find this fire showing up specifically as it relates to God showing himself and manifesting itself earlier in Genesis chapter 15 when it says concerning Abraham, Abraham was having this um, vision, this, this dream at night. And it says, and when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And so that was what happened in the past as God was manifesting himself through this fire. But we also see that this is not the last time that Moses is going to see fire. But later on in Exodus chapter 14, which we're going to get to as we continue to move through Exodus, we find that God uses this fire, specifically a pillar of fire. It says in Exodus 14, 24, And in the morning watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of a cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. This was the very Red Sea incident itself. And how is God leading his people? He's doing it by this pillar of fire. Moses himself knew this was God showing himself, manifesting himself. But then they get to this mountain, Mount Sinai, which is in this area of Horeb. And in in Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it, how? In fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. In each of these occurrences, we see that God was showing himself as being powerful, awesome, and absolutely other and holy. He is not to be trifled with, or considered lightly. He is, able, he is not able to be set on a shelf or to be added to one's life. When God showed up in this fire in Genesis and in Exodus in these passages that I read for you, it consumed all of their thoughts, all of their actions, all of their lives. In Abraham's vision, for example, in Genesis, as he was sleeping, this fire pot... Um, this dark and smoking firepot and flaming torch passed between the pieces, did Abraham roll back over and go to sleep? No, our text says in Genesis chapter 15, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. He was consumed by this one who was God, who had come into his midst. In Exodus 14, talking about the Egyptians who were pressing hard down on, the, on God's people, coming through the actual sea at the time. It said that they had already begun working themselves through the sea. And it says the Lord in the pillar of fire and the cloud uh, looked down on the Egyptians, the Egyptian forces and threw them into a panic. And so now they were panicking. They were in the middle of the, of the Red Sea. The walls of water were on either side. Were God's people safely on the other side of the Red Sea looking at their Facebook status? Checking their schedule, seeing what they were going to do for the rest of the day? Were they consumed with their own lives and what needed to happen? Exodus 14 says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. What about the people at the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai? Exodus 19 says, On the morning of the third day, There were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because of the Lord and descended on fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain, even the mountain, trembled greatly. My point this morning, brothers and sisters, is this. If we think that we've come into the presence of a holy God, we think that we might know this God in some casual or indifferent or relaxed or easygoing way. If we think that you, if you think that you and God kind of understand each other, You know nothing of the dreadful great darkness that Abraham experienced in his vision. You know nothing of the fear of the Lord that was fostered as the dead bodies were washing up on the Red Sea by the Egyptians. If you have never trembled before this God who calls himself holy, then do you know the God of the Bible? Or have you made for yourself a God that's easy for you to handle and to worship and to deal with? The God of the Bible, both of the Old Testament and the New Testament, granted I'm reading out of the, New Te- or the Old Testament, but the Bible of, the God of our Bible is a God whom we need to come back to and acknowledge. He's not a buddy or a friend. He's not my copilot. He's almighty God of heaven and earth, and he possesses all holiness, majesty, and radiance. He is to Shock us into awe and wonder when we consider His attributes. He's a God that deserves all of our worship, all of our glory, all of our reverence and all. The New Testament author says it this way: New Testament reading. I was reading out of the Old Testament. That's what the Old Testament speaks of speaks of a God of 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 holiness and God of 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 incredible um, can't touch, get close to this kind of God. The God of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way, Therefore, because this is who our God is, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Do you know how that verse ends? That verse ends with this phrase, For our God is a consuming fire. In our text, we find something very unique about this fire. This fire that Moses is approaching. The uniqueness about this fire that we find that Moses is approaching here in verse 2 is that this fire is not on some mysterious night in a vision, some massive pillar on top of a mountain. What we find in this fire in verse 2 of our passage is that it's contained, it's in a bush. And this is an amazing mercy for Moses. Because not only is the bush not consumed, but Moses is not consumed. God, in His amazing grace, is revealing Himself to Moses. And He's allowing Himself to be revealed to Moses. Brothers and sisters, if you are wondering whether you've ever known God, come into His presence, experienced who God really is, Let me tell you clearly that this is not something that you can do. It's only something that the Spirit of God can do in you. If you're wondering whether you have truly given God the due that that He deserves, then it may be that you need to come and say, Lord, I can't do it, only you can do it through me. You see, the small bush, the small fiery bush, did exactly for Moses what it was what it was doing in large form for God's people, and it was this: it was getting their attention. Don't you think the fire got Moses uh, Abraham's attention on that night that he was dreaming? Don't you think the pillar of fire got God's people's attention as they were? going through the Red Sea, and the Egyptians were coming in behind them. Don't you think the fire got their attention as they came to the foot of this mount, Mount Sinai, and the fire was bellowing on top of it? It got their attention. And that's exactly what God is seeking to do for Moses in in a gracious way. Because what we find is that in verse 2, it says, He appeared to him in a fire in the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And then notice in verse 3, it says, And Moses said, I will, and here's the phrase I want you to see, I will turn aside to see this great sight, while the bush is not, not burning. In other words, God was getting his attention. And yet he wasn't consuming him. It goes on in verse 4 it says, When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, that's when God begins to speak. Will you turn aside this morning? Will you ask the Lord to speak to you this morning through this sermon? Would you confess your indifference and your often casual and carefree attitude toward God and knowing Him? May our God, by the power of His Spirit, cause you this morning to turn aside. Turn aside from all of the worthless, trivial things that we so often put before God Himself. And we think God's okay with that. And we turn aside and say, Lord, at the end of the day, if I lose it all, including my life, nothing matters except for the fact that you have spoken to me. May our God by His Spirit cause us to turn aside this morning. That we may be people who listen and receive His Word when He speaks. For when we see God, and when we hear Him speak, It's a great thing. That's what it says here. Verse 3, And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, while the bush is not burned. So God revealed himself through the angel of the Lord. He revealed himself through the bush. But finally, I want you to see that he revealed himself through speaking to Moses. Think with me for a moment. What does Moses know about God up to this point? Well, he he doesn't know anything about God up to this point. Everything we know about God up to this point is because our Bible has told us that. It's the angel of the Lord, and it's the Lord, and it's the bush, and God's speaking through that. But Moses is walking up on a burning bush. He doesn't know all of this yet. He's seeing this hindsight. He's telling us now, but... But he doesn't know all of this yet. He doesn't know anything. He's confused. He's befuddled. He's, he's w- looking at this wonderful and great sight that he sees this bush that's burning and yet it's not consumed. He doesn't know what to think. My point this morning is this, is that God is manifesting his presence. Yes, through the angel of the Lord. Yes, through the burning bush. But, but what is absolutely necessary and vital for Moses to know God? It isn't for that bush to continue to burn. It's not for the angel to to lead or guide or direct in any particular way, in some vague way. It is absolutely, incredibly important for God to do this glorious and amazing task. And that is, in our passage this morning in verse 4, Then the Lord saw that he turned aside, and God called to him. That's beautiful. That's glorious. That is precious. That is why we are here this morning. Whether whether we continue to believe this or not, the reason we've come here this morning is so that we can hear from God because we realize that, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We can only exist as long as God, by His Word, sustains us. Here, God speaks to His people. This is the real miracle. The real miracle isn't that a bush, and that's an amazing thing, the bush was burning and yet it wasn't consumed. That's amazing. The real miracle is that God in His grace decided to clearly and necessarily reveal himself, so he gloriously speaks. And he reveals to Moses three glorious truths. Three things that Moses knows from God now that he's beginning to speak. The first thing he learns, or the first thing that God does, is that God calls Moses by name. God speaks three words to Moses, these three words, these three messages. The first thing is that he calls Moses by name. So in verse 4 it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him out of the bush. And what does God say? God calls him Moses, Moses. And Moses says, Here I am. This doubling of the name is notorious through the Old Testament. We just saw Abraham was called twice by God. We know that when Samuel was called, God called him Samuel, Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. And this is why when, in the, remember, uh, when we were in the Sermon on the Mount and at the end, Jesus is telling the Pharisees who are Jews and who are Hebrew and understand Hebrew syntax, Jesus is asking the, the Pharisees, which are Jews, He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? two times. And and not do what I say. And the reason he's making Jesus is making that claim is because this understanding this this doubling of the name speaks of intimacy. Speaks of familiarity. Speaks of the fact that it's not just that he it's not just that God here is acknowledging that Moses is on the mountainside. It's not that all of a sudden, "Oh, what are you doing here, Moses?" No, him calling Moses twice by his name Speaks to the fact that God knows Moses. He knows him intimately, he knows him in a familiar way. In other words, he knows Moses was just 40 years ago sitting by that well all by himself. He knew Moses' lonely times. He knew Moses' heart for justice that we talked about last week. He knew that Moses had a heart to bring about righteousness and justice around him. He also knew Moses' longing heart for a land that he was not in. God knew that Moses, when he named his child Gershom, at the end of chapter 2, verse 22 The reason he named his child Gershom was because he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And that was in him. That was in Moses. God knew that. Brothers and sisters, when God called to Moses and said, Moses, Moses, I know you. You're familiar to me. You're not some afterthought. I know every aspect of your life. What was Moses' response? the only response that was logical, the only response that made any sense at all, is here I am. It's it's an affirming of Moses' submission and his resignation that God is God and He is not. And brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, then God knows you in the same intimate and familiar way. My question is, is, then is your life such that in every moment of every day your confession to God is this, here I am? Because that's what it means to be known by God. It means that every moment of every day our confession is, Lord, here I am. This isn't my schedule. This isn't my day. This isn't my family. This isn't my stuff. This isn't my job. This is all yours. Here I am. A Resignation. A submission to God, that He is God and you're not. Moses, the first word that came from God is an affirmation to Moses that God knew Him well. First revelation, first time God speaks, He says, Moses, Moses. He speaks Moses' name. Second thing He does is He warns Him from coming near. Notice, if you will, with me in verse 5. Then he said, the Lord, then the Lord said, this angel of the Lord, out of the bush, he says, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. He warns Moses not to get too close. He tells Moses that it's right and acceptable for him to remove the sandals from his feet out of reverence and awe of who he's approaching. Still accustomed today. Um, Mostly... In other places of the world, but many of you, when I come in your house, what do I do? The first thing I do when I come in your house, I take off my shoes. <laughs> That's not just because I, I feel at home there, which many, uh, I most of the time do, but it's also an opportunity for for respect and honor, respecting the the home that I'm in. Moses here removes his sandals. These are warnings. And they let Moses know that he's approaching God. And this approaching God requires something unique and utmost care with reverence. So he removes the sandals as a sign of reverence and respect to this God who he's approaching. God goes on and tells Moses why he must Remove his sandals. Why he must not come near? It says in verse 5, Do not come near. Take off your sandals from your feet. Why? For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, is that ground holy because of the properties and the place that it is specifically? No, not at all. The reason it's holy is because God is there. God has shown up there. And what we find is that all these instruments and things that Moses ends up making later on, as we go through the book of Exodus and all these things that are going into the tabernacle, they're going to be considered holy as well. Not because of the properties that are in them, but you know why? Because they're going to be in the presence of God. You see, God's teaching Moses about this thing called holy. It's interesting, this word holy occurs here for the first time in noun form. And from this point forward in our Bibles, not just in our book of Exodus, but in our Bibles, holy... And holiness is a major theme. It is a major theme throughout the rest of our Bibles. God is teaching Moses here, first, Moses, what it means to come into the presence of a holy God. Why is that? Because we cannot, we cannot forget, and sometimes I think we do when we work through the book of Exodus, God is doing more than just trying to get his people out of Egypt. He's getting his people out of Egypt so that he may dwell with them. The first half of the book is them getting out of Egypt. If all it was is getting out of Egypt, the the book would be, Exodus would be done around chapter 15. It would be done. But what is God doing? He's not just getting his people out of Egypt, he's bringing his people to a place where they can come into his presence, where they can know him, where he can be their people and they can be, and, and that God can be their God. In other words, God wants to dwell with his people. And he knows that Moses here first has to learn that they can't approach God in any old way. They have to approach God in a way that only God prescribes. In other words, when we come and worship, even this morning, we, we are very careful in our liturgy and how we do things on Sunday because we don't want to be creative or bring in our ingenuity and, and, and try to bring things so that we can uh, promote feelings or emotion unnecessarily. We come and we worship God on his terms. We read his word. We sing his word. We pray his word. We preach his word. We allow God to speak to us through the means that he has prescribed as good and right for us. And in this way, God is showing himself to Moses to be Holy holy. First thing God speaks to him is his name. Second thing he speaks to him is he warns him of coming too near. And then thirdly and finally, I want you to see in verse 6, he identifies himself with the God of his fathers. This is really important. It says here in verse 6, and he said, the Lord said, I am the God of your father. Do you see that? He doesn't say your fathers. He says, I'm the God of Amram. I'm the God of that father that you left back there in Egypt remember the father and the mother that were so brave mostly the mother is spoken of in chapter one of, of delivering him and helping him Moses not being thrown into the into the Nile God here is saying that he is the God of Amram, the God of his father not only is he the God of his father but he's also the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is incredibly important. Why? Because Moses has been living for 40 years with this man called Jethro, who was what? What was his title? He was the priest of Midian. That's a pagan god, or gods. And so, what's the likelihood that Moses, over those 40 years, with this Jethro, the priest of Midian, could have um, heard this thing in the bush, and heard God say, Moses, Moses, and, and said, don't come to me near me because I'm holy, and then all of a sudden began making assumptions that this is the God of Jethro, my father-in-law. God is saying, no, no, no. I'm the God of your father back that are the Hebrews, not Midian, not Jethro. He's making the point that it's not this God that you've been familiar with for the last 40 years. God is very careful that we are not going to mix or blend our understandings of God from our culture and our world and our experiences with the God of heaven. He wants us to be very clear that these things are distinct and they never should be brought together. So... When he says, "I'm the God of your father," Abraham's mind or Moses's mind would have automatically went back and said, "Okay, it's the God of those people back in Egypt, where my father is." Well, there's a plethora of amazing gods and goddesses in the Egyptian culture. Could it be that Moses then was going back and saying, "Okay, so do I do I now blend?" This God who's speaking to me now to the Egyptian gods that I knew and that I was exposed to when I grew up in that land in Egypt that was back there. Do I do that? No. God is making very clear by this statement in verse 6 that Moses is not to fold in and to overlap and to mix the gods of, the, of, of, of Jethro, who was the priest of Midian, nor the gods of the Egyptians that, were, that he left back in Egypt But this God is a singular God, the one true God, who works in a specific way with a particular people. And he says, I am the God who is the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is refusing to allow himself to be intermixed and confused with all these other deities and all these other gods that are around us. Brothers and sisters, that is our danger as well. That we, without even knowing it, could we be bringing into the worship services in places called churches in America nothing less than the mysticism and the pagan spirituality of our culture. Without even knowing it. And calling it something that just makes me feel better. Something that's really good, really nice. No, 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 no Ill, these people aren't devious in saying, oh, we're going to try to bring Satan into our worship service. But they're allowing the culture to dictate and influence how they understand the God of heaven who's in Scripture. Why was God in a burning, fiery bush? To show that he's distinct. And he is not to be put alongside of anyone else. What was the, what was the, why were the apostles being martyred? They were preaching Jesus. Well, yes, that's true. They were preaching Jesus as the only way. That's what was getting them killed. If they said, Jesus is one of many gods, you choose one, or bring Jesus in with your others, nobody would have killed Stephen. Stephen was saying, Jesus is the only way for one to be saved. Brothers and sisters, we need to be very careful to acknowledge that when we consider and we think of God, we need to understand that there is incredible grace and mercy and love and joy and peace. He's a God of steadfast love. He's a God of wonders. He's a God of wrath and holiness. And we get all of that from Scripture. We do not get all of that from sitting and thinking about what we think God should look like and be like. With this revealing himself to Moses continues throughout the rest of the book of exodus and i'm glad about that because over and over again in the book of exodus this angel shows up and shows himself to be mighty and majestic over and over again in the book of exodus fire occurs and god shows himself as one to be trembled before and over and over again god speaks to moses and then moses gives the word to his people And so over and over again, God's going to reveal himself in the ways that he's revealing himself to Moses specifically here. Isn't it interesting? God revealed himself to Moses specifically in these three ways or modes. And then throughout the rest of Exodus, God's going to be doing this through Moses and revealing himself to God's people. says that this is how Moses is going to keep God's flock and lead God's flock through the wilderness. You see what's happening? I'm right back in verse 1 again. Moses is keeping and leading Jethro's flock. How is Moses going to keep and lead these people, God's people, the flock of God, through the wilderness? How is he going to do it? He's going to do it by revealing to these people who God is. And these, this angel, this fire, speech, Are going to be critical for the rest of Exodus and understanding this. It says at the end of verse six, Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look at God. That's appropriate. That's right. Moses now knows who this God is who's calling him out of the wilderness to deliver his people. Now, he grumbles a little bit about that, and we're going to get to that next week. But, as we all know, when we grumble to God, who wins, Rod, every time? The Lord does, doesn't he? Every time the Lord wins. We don't have, nor do we need, a burning bush today. Nor do we have God speaking to us audibly. Because this angel of the Lord, who appeared to Moses... Jesus Christ Himself, very God and very man, has come come to us. And through Him, God is revealing Himself to us. All of God's nature is in Christ. All of God's radiance is in Christ. All of God's wonder and splendor and glory, where does it reside? It's found in Christ. So the author of Hebrews can say, long ago, and in many times, and in many ways, God, what did He do? He spoke to our fathers, how? By the prophets. And then the Hebrew author goes on and says, But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Listen, this One who is the Son, the Angel of God, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So brothers and sisters, when we want to come into the presence of this One who is holy and majestic and glorious and wonderful, would you please set aside, turn aside from all of the all of the notifications on your phone. Isn't that silly? We're, we're giving our lives to such little stuff and we refuse to turn aside to look at the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It says, Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. But our New Testament says this, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And this is what it says Looking to Jesus. You don't have to hide your face, brothers and sisters. Look to Jesus. And and guess what? When you look to Jesus, you will not be consumed. As you should be. As as seems absolute right thinking would say, the bush should be consumed because of the fire. Absolute right thinking would be, look to God and you'll be consumed. And yet our Bibles are saying, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and you will not be consumed. But you know what you will hear if you look to Jesus? Jesus. You'll hear Moses. Moses. You'll hear your name. Look to Jesus, brothers and sisters. Let us pray.